0: Welcome to Part 2 of this month's Leadership Podcast with National Leader of the Month, Stephen Covey. In Part 2, Dr. Covey talks about numerous topics, such as how organizations enable or disable leadership, the interconnectedness of things in our world, and leadership training and integrity. What about organizations? Any other things you could identify that they can do to either encourage or stifle leaders?
1: Yes. Organizations is where most of the world's work gets done. And the key to leadership in an organization is to affirm people's worth and potential so clearly they are inspired to see it in themselves. Oh OK. When they find their voice this way, and you set up a complementary team, meaning you build on strengths and organize to make weaknesses irrelevant, what happens is that you can get rid of bureaucracy and rules and regulations that take the place of human judgment and human creativity. And and this is one of the reasons why Toyota is eating Detroit's lunch. Right. Because they work on a different philosophy of educating the people and building great trust with their suppliers and with all of their stakeholders so that everyone has more Economic literacy about what's going on in the business. Sure. And they take responsibility. They feel like they're part owners of that business. And I mean, if you ever had a situation where you absolutely loved your work and you were good at it, what kind of supervision did you require? None.
0: Exactly.
1: This whole concept of supervision is like an artificial leg, a prosthesis that takes the place of the real thing. Because you haven't got people in the right positions. They haven't found their voice. Sure. You help people find their voice. They don't need to be supervised. You just have to clear the path for them and get things out of the way. And let them carry on the same tradition of inspiring others to find their voice. Sure. Sure. What I'm sharing now is the heart and soul of the Eighth Habit book. Gotcha. Seven, the seven habits deal with personal and interpersonal right. leadership. The eighth habit deals with organizational leadership. So you do it with institutionalizing and enculturating these principles.
0: Sure. Where and what are the best training programs out there for leaders?
1: The military. Okay. And also the organizations that are at the cutting edge of their industries. Like Toyota. Okay. Like Ritz Carlson Hotel, which is part of of Marriott. Right. Like the Scooter Company. You find them everywhere. And, like great schools and great hospitals in health care, they've learned how to create the complementary team. They've moved away from the industrial model of top down position being the key to leadership and then carrot and sticking people, the great jackass theory of human motivation
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: And that's what most organizations are due to. Sure. And then they do performance appraisal by, you know, the sandwich technique of saying a few nice words to top part of the sandwich. And they put in the knife, twisted a little called carriers for improvement, and then a few nice ways to send them on their way. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the that's the industrial age model and it's becoming increasingly obsolete. The key is for the culture to take responsibility for results, where everyone is accountable to everybody, and people that violate these cultural values and norms, they are out of sync. Sure. And they, and they are incongruent with, with what's going on, so that people who are flaky... Unprincipled people who step on other people—they cannot survive. And that's why the financial accounting system of the industrial age is so flawed. It calls people an expense, and calls things like the technology you and I are using right now an asset. Right. And you can talk about sick. True. Talk about talk about one big major draw. When today, 80% of the value added to goods and services comes from intellectual and social capital. Social capital is trust. Where 20 years ago, 80% of the value added to goods and services came from manual work and from equipment. And that's what produced the accounting system, which calls people an expense and things an asset. Wow, that's why I teach three forms of information: financial accounting, XQ, for so the ability of the culture to execute the priorities of the organization. OK? And, and the third one is a 360-degree assessment. Of your customers, your suppliers, all your business partners as to whether or not they will recommend you or not. Hmm. Are they loyal, fiercely loyal, and recommending? Are they your uh, frontline salespeople who are promoting you? And we have information systems in those three areas. And when they have all three, the lower math of financial accounting. Is seen in the larger context of the higher math, and that is what is the cost to produce that financial success, and what do all of your stakeholders, particularly your customers and suppliers, and your own people say about you? Okay. Now, so when you have both lower math and higher math together, you have the whole package, because every business person knows. You can never have success financially if you don't succeed in the marketplace. And you can never succeed in the marketplace if you don't succeed in the workplace. So, um, um, it's, a, it's a social ecology. You know what I mean by ecology? It's like a physical ecology, you know?
0: Right, right.
1: Well, this is a social ecology where everything is connected to everything else.
0: So, of those three different aspects that you talk about, what I mean, where in America, I mean, is one lacking more than than the others, or is it just depend on the the organization and the person, or is is one better being done better than others?
1: Almost all organizations do only financial accounting. Okay. Very few organizations really do this loyalty toward all of your stakeholders, toward you, toward your company. Some of them do it. They call it a balanced scoreboard, and this is taking on. It's catching up. But very, very, very few do XQ, and that's the ability to find out, does your culture deliver on its promise? How does your culture achieve its priorities? You can get XQ under the Eighth Habit dot com. Okay. You can learn about that, and that is a tremendous tool. I've never seen anything to compare to it. But the key is to have all three. Sure. Because it's a social ecology. If you don't have all three, you don't. You're going to be driven by short-term, quarterly bottom-line numbers, and then it comes after the fact, then people will point their finger at each other, where XQ and the 360-degree information about whether your stakeholders promote you, that's before the fact. That's the cause, not the symptom. Hmm. If you have both causal information and after-the-fact symptom information, you have the whole package.
0: Sure. When do you think the limits of your leadership were challenged or tested, and how did you respond to that?
1: Well, I'd say it came when we had the merger between Covey Leadership Center and Franklin Quest. Okay. Because we had two altogether different cultures, and it took us several years to practice what I'm teaching right now. Okay. The XQ scores are the highest scores of any large organization we've ever dealt with.
0: Really? uh
1: uh-huh, which means we're practicing what we teach. But there were a few years where the cultural merger had not taken place. Okay. That was the hardest time of our company's career in history.
0: You had mentioned to me that the United States military is your biggest customer. That is a good
1: sign. It is a good sign. But it's still in its infancy. Sure. Still, if you study the leadership training given in the military, it focuses on character and competence and the importance of trust and moral authority. Okay. And you you don't find that in most leadership programs in business sure the focus is not so much on character it's more on it's more on competency okay and you know
0: i think it was ken blanchard had said to me when i spoke with him uh, a couple months ago he'll take that character over competence any day because you can you can train and you can teach that competence and it's a little trickier to try to train that character if that isn't present in someone.
1: That is so true. Ken and I are good friends. We do a lot of work together. Okay. And we're on the same same page about that.
0: This is my favorite question. We all have a story. What is yours? And then basically you can take that in ten different directions, but I'm just looking for if there's a story you can think of that would encapsulate what you are all about.
1: Well, we trained the president of Mexico, President Fox, when he was first installed, and we had everyone for two full days. And my wife was also involved with me, and she trained all of the spouses in how to build strong, exemplary families. And then I trained the material I'm talking to you about to President Fox right? and to all of his people. And then he had his people, after 72 years of one-party control, go around the country and put their arm to the square in front of national television, declaring their assets then and then after the six years they were in. Okay. We're now trying to set it up to train the new president of Mexico in the same way. Okay. The 9-11 events took the main issue of open borders of President Fox off the radar screen. Right. Now we have all these problems with immigration. Sure. That was a tremendous experience and story that... I will never forget.
0: I enjoy your thoughts on nature. Can you talk a little bit about them?
1: I love being by nature because I think nature is a perfect metaphor for principles. Sure. Uh, for, you can't violate nature. You have to live by the law of the gravity. You have to live by the law of the harvest. Most people in school They crammed their way through school, they violated nature, and they end up feeling like they neglected the most important foundation of their life. That's why when I got my doctorate, I went back and got the equivalent of another undergraduate degree, because I crammed my way through college.
0: Sure.
1: And that's contrary to nature, that's contrary to the law of the harvest. And uh, so it took me eight years to get my doctorate, because I wanted to get another undergraduate degree, and I really paid the price.
0: At what age did you arrive at, at this level, I would call it, of enlightenment? Was well, that a work in progress, I, or did the light come on one day? Or
1: I think that the seven habits taught me that public victories always come from private victories. Okay. In other words, you've got to have it in your character first before you can develop the skills. The eighth habit was a period of tremendous enlightenment because that's where I learned about institutional moral authority and cultural moral authority. And now since I've been training heads of state and CEOs and other leaders all over the world... It's given me so much background material and so many stories that it all seems to be coming together like never before. I bet. I really think it's like a social ecology. Sure. And uh, I'm just amazed at how everything is connected to everything else. We're highly interdependent. We've produced now over 50 films that I can use at any time to teach what I'm teaching you right now. Wow. And they, these are films that are really grab people. They're powerful. And it's taken millions and millions of dollars to develop these films. But they're very, very powerful and it uh and if you see the eight tablet book, you'll see some of those films. Sure. There's one for every chapter in that book. Okay. And when I do this textbook on the principles of management, I I'll have access to over fifty five films and the students it will blow their mind <laughs> because they will see how everything is connected to everything else.
0: Now, have you when you talk about the interconnectedness um, not that I'm an expert on the Native Americans, but that's what that conjures up in my mind is, is some of the philosophy that I guess has been brought to my attention through study of the Native Americans. Have you studied some of, of their culture and tradition?
1: Absolutely. I am totally fascinated by Indian culture. Okay. In fact, our vacation home is on the very spot where Chief Joseph fought the American Army that came after him once he left the reservation. Wow. In the Eight Habit book, read the one chapter called "Blending Voices." In there, I talk about the Indian talking stick and how it was taught to the founding fathers of our country, and how that influenced what took place in Philadelphia in the formation of what I believe to be a God-inspired constitution, which is the oldest written constitution in the world and the model for 95% of every other constitution that has come since that time. And the Indian talking stick has explained that I belong to a, a leadership summit of Jews, Christians, and Muslims, in helping our country develop a closer relationship to the entire world Arab community. Okay. And I taught this Indian talking stick idea from Native American culture, and no one spoke for three days without the Indian talking stick in front of them. Oh, wow. And it basically means that the person who is speaking needs to feel understood before they pass the Indian talking stick. Okay. And what, hap- what happens is it transforms the energy of the group from negative to positive, from defensive to creative, and it produces third alternative solutions that are better than what anyone initially proposed. And that's what the American Constitution is, It's a third alternative solution. And I attribute that in part to the Native American culture and the Indian talking stick. Sure. I'm a great believer in Native American Indian culture. I also train Indian chiefs all the time. That I say to them, you don't need me because I can find what I'm teaching in your own culture. And they say, no, we do, because we don't even believe our own culture. Is that and a... we want a second witness. Wow. So I, I love training Indian chiefs. I do it all the time. And that's where I got the Indian talking stick given to me. After training Indian chiefs that run Indian nations in North America, they gave me this beautiful Indian talking stick. Sure. And it has my name on the backside. They called me Bald Eagle. Is that right? Yeah. And then under that it says Wild Man because of all of the fun things I did when I was training them. I had them <laughs> down in Arizona for three days.
0: <laughs> I've
1: also I've also trained the religious leaders of most churches. Okay. And because I teach them the principles that are universal from the Old and New Testament, I also have taught the education leaders in Dubai, over there in the Emirate Republics.
0: Really? In the so what East. did you think of yeah. Dubai? I mean, that's the
1: that articles of the most I read diverse, about that. It sounds like an
0: amazing place.
1: Explosive. I have never seen a culture so explosive as Dubai. Wow. It's just amazing to see what they're producing. And the architect is the brother of the king of the Emirates. Oh, okay. Brilliant. Begin with the end in mind, that's habit too. Right. And this new little book called The Secret, you know, all that is is Habit Two.
0: Okay. Earlier, you mentioned to me some important leaders that it would be great to talk to. I wish you could talk to Victor Frankl,
1: but he passed away.
0: And you know, I uh, I-, I talked to Kevin Hall, I- who I think you know, Oh yeah. about a year ago, and he had talked to me about the Statue of Responsibility Project, which I believe you're involved with too, aren't you?
1: Yes, I am. And... That's a vision of Viktor Frankl, you know.
0: That's what he had mentioned. What a wonderful project.
1: Oh, it's a tremendous project.
0: How is that coming along?
1: Well, it's still in the uh, kind of what I call the spiritual creation stage. Okay. And then they're going to move to fundraising. But no major project that large... Has ever gone up without some public funds?
0: Okay, sure.
1: But it would do like bookends to the Statue of Liberty, right? And uh, it would also have a visitor center that would contain other countries' cultural definition of responsibility. Sure. Yeah, I it was... would be fascinating. I've spoken about that a lot. And then then one of the books, remember, that I talked to you about that he was finishing up? Right. He did that with a biographer, and the name of that book is called When Life Calls Out to Us. Okay. Because we have four intelligences. We have our IQ, that's our mind. We have our EQ, that's emotional intelligence. That deals with social intelligence, our heart and self-awareness. Then we have our physical intelligence, PQ, which deals with the 30 billion cells that run our body. And then we have spiritual intelligence, which is where we find our meaning and our integrity. Okay. And I believe that the highest manifestation of spiritual intelligence lies in our conscience and that everyone has a conscience. And that when conscience drives the other three intelligences, drives vision, which is the highest manifestation, I think, of IQ, discipline, the highest manifestation of physical intelligence, passion, the highest manifestation of emotional intelligence, and when it comes to people, it's compassion. And when when conscience drives those other three, vision, discipline, and passion, it changes the world for good. Right. Hitler had the first three, but had no conscience. Gandhi had conscience, and that's why it endured and why they established a constitution. But it took formal authority to establish a constitution. Gandhi didn't have that. Okay. He had sure. moral authority, and it took Nehru that followed him to establish the constitution. And that's why uh, Nelson Mandela had to establish a constitution. Okay, sure. Once he was a sta- once he was put in as president.
0: Interesting. So, uh, how prevalent do you think in- this integrity is in people? I mean, how rare is it you're traveling the world meeting all these different people, leaders, etc. W- what are your thoughts on the presence of integrity in these people. How common I think is that this?
1: everyone claims it. Everyone teaches it. And everyone knows how important it is. But I would say relatively few live it when push comes to shove. Right. And you'll find where you have cultural and moral authority, you'll find high integrity. And then you'll also find great financial results, high quality, high trust, and a culture of innovation. Where you don't have a culture of innovation and empowerment, you won't have integrity. You'll have some industries that are protected that have not yet moved into the knowledge worker age where you're gonna see some success without integrity. But if you have world class competition, you won't have it if you don't have integrity.
0: Sure. Can you train this at all?
1: Can you train yes, integrity? You, yes, you can because if you set up a situation of cultural moral authority People that lack integrity will be trained in it. Uh, Since I was with a person with Ritz Carlton, a woman who's in human resources, and I said, has this company impacted your personal life? And she said, it's totally changed my life. I said, how so? I have never seen people live this way and served this way. I said, has it impacted your family life? She said, absolutely. I said, give me an illustration. I said, when I ever do things for my children, I always say to them, it's my pleasure. I treat my children like, I, like well, we try to treat our customers. Sure. We always go the second mile, and it's taught my children to do the same thing.
0: Wow. What else do you think it would be valuable to have in a a feature about you and leadership?
1: Well, uh, I give God all the credit for the principles, and I believe that I'm not the source of them at all. And uh, to me, that's very important. Sure. And. uh, I also feel that the most important institution is the family, and no other success can compensate for failure in the home. I believe the most important work we'll ever do is in the four walls of our own home. And the key is to produce a family of significance. That is, a family that's dedicated to serving other families, not a so-called successful family that just achieves its own goal right I also believe that humility is the mother of all virtues which means you recognize that principles govern sure not social not social values social values is like a cultural DNA like a, a a blanket that's put on top of our natural DNA, which understands these principles that resonate within you, and they resonate within everyone. And and I don't deserve any credit for them at all. I'm just a teacher of them, and uh, I hope to develop other teachers. We've now trained over 50,000 uh, teachers of what I'm talking about wow. inside organizations. Wow! So imagine the leavening influence of those people.
0: Oh, it's amazing to think think about the far-reaching impact.
1: I know. And our goal is to actually impact billions of people. Not hundreds of thousands, not millions, but billions. And that is our vision. And our mission is we enable greatness in people organizations and societies everywhere
0: sure wow
1: so that's kind of what we're about
0: well you're certainly doing it that's for sure
1: that's very exciting work you can see why i'm so turned on by this material
0: oh definitely that's amazing i mean it really is Amazing what you're doing, and, and I, again, commend you. And it's it's good that you're teaching the right material when you think of how far-reaching the impact is. That's what I think is really exciting. Is Yeah,
1: people, that's how I feel. These people are... are that's, how, that's how you know it works, when it works in every country and every religion. You know it's based on principles, and God is the father of us all. I think it came from him, so I always try to give to him the credit at the end of every speech.
0: Sure. Wow. Well, what a pleasure it's been to to speak with you and, and learn from you for a few minutes here, Dr. Covey. I, I thank you so much, and I'm really looking forward to putting together this feature.
1: Well, I'm honored that you would select me, and I've been thrilled to talk with you, and I hope you get to visit sometime. And if you ever come up to West Yellowstone, be sure to call me. We hope our paths cross someday. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you.
0: This concludes June's podcast with National Leader of the Month, Stephen Covey. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from Leadernetwork.org.